Anyway, uh, again, I want to say good morning, Freedom Village family. Uh, great to be with you today. Um, for those of you who are new, uh, maybe you're joining us online for the first time, um, welcome. My name is James, um, and I serve as the lead pastor here um, at Freedom Village. Uh, we're so grateful that you chose to worship with us uh, today. I already mentioned this, but uh, today is a, a really exciting Sunday, Sunday uh, for us here at Freedom Village, uh, because first and foremost... Uh, Starting tomorrow, we're entering into uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting uh, together. I really can't can't wait for this. As I said, I've been anticipating it uh, for weeks. Uh, You know, one of my uh, deepest desires as your pastor, uh, I pray this uh, for my own life, but over our gathering in you, is that we would be collectively, we would be people of prayer, uh, a people who pray first, uh, people who pray often, uh, people who pray with boldness, people who pray with great faith. Um, you know, you've heard me say this, but I believe really strongly that nothing, nothing of eternal significance uh, happens apart from prayer. That in a very real sense, our effectiveness um, in this life and for God's kingdom is fueled by the prayers that take place um, in, the, in the private areas of our, our life. And so as a gathering, each year, uh, we choose to start uh, the year with prayer, an intentional season of prayer. For 21 days um, here at Freedom Village, we purposefully and intentionally seek God together as a community through prayer and fasting, uh, believing that through it, our hearts and our lives uh, will be shaped, will be changed, and that in that, in that, Uh, Hopefully, we'll be prepared for whatever God has for us uh, in the year that we're in now. I think a lot of us need some some fuel. Some of us need fresh filling of God's spirit to make it through this year. I can sense that. Um, I can sense that for sure. And so again, really excited for this 21 days together. Um, I'll be sharing a little bit more about that. I'm at the announcements at the end, and so if you're watching online, like, don't toot out at the end, because there's just some important details to go along with how we're going to approach these 21 days together. Um, but the other reason that I'm, uh, I'm excited, and this is an exciting Sunday uh, for us here at FBC, uh, is because I get to unveil uh, the, the word or, or the theme uh, that God has laid on my heart uh, for 2022 uh, for our church this year. Um, I said this last year. Uh, but uh, every year that I've been pastoring um, in Korea, um, God has put a word uh, or, or a specific phrase on my heart. And so uh, one year, um, it was the phrase, go deeper. Um, another year, t- 2020, actually is the first year that I um, kind of came into this role here as the pastor of Freedom Village and um, was merging these two gathers, gatherings together. Um, very clearly in November of 2019, I, I felt like God was laying on my spirit the word patience over and over. And I thought I knew what that meant, right? Like patience because of merging two churches, two churches that not are different demographics, a little bit different model, trying to merge it together. I felt like God was saying, be patient with people, be patient with people. And then COVID hit. So I was like, well, it's, it's not what I thought it meant. Patience meant, means something different. Um, and then last year here at, uh, at BC, um, our word was centered, um, centered, which you hear me again talk about a lot, um, this idea of being centered on the gospel, centered on the person of Jesus Christ, because, uh, this, this idea that we need to be, should be, as far as of Jesus, people who center the totality of our lives, 
every part of us, our hearts, minds, souls, strength on the person of Jesus Christ um, and his gospel. Well, this year, um, it was really interesting. Um, It was the day after Christmas, uh, December 26th, um, and I had had nothing. I had nothing for, for this year. 2022. Um, and let me say this as well. I know it's not biblical, all right? It's not like in the Bible to be like, the pastor has to have a word for the church for 12 months. Like that, that's not there, right? It's not essential to have one word or, or, or phrase each year, but something, uh, something is, has always come to me. And so that's my expectation. Like I have some, God gives me something. And so um, I was, I was sitting, it was in the afternoon, I was sitting on my bed uh, the, the day after after Christmas again, and thinking uh, about this and, and asking God, and I actually just said to him um, pretty directly and said, "All right, God, um, it's the end of the year now. Like this is it, right? Like I got to start preparing. Um, what's going on?" And I uttered the words. I said, "I'm empty here. I got nothing. I'm empty." Uh, and just about the microsecond that those last words exited my mouth, um, I felt like really strongly in my spirit that the Lord said to me, you're not empty, you're full. Uh, You have everything, James. Full satisfaction, total joy, uh, complete peace. You're fully filled. Uh, You're fulfilled. Fulfilled. And so uh, I was like, I think that, I think that's it. I'm like, God, is this it? I'm like, fulfilled. And so um, the word for 2022, we can put it on the screen, is fulfilled. That's the word. Okay. Um, But here's what's interesting. That was my first thought. And then what came to me next was was this. Um, And maybe it's my people-pleasing personality. Was, is this word and phrase, is it weird? I remember thinking that. I'm like doubting God, actually. Um, Like, it's the word fulfilled, but it's spelled wrong. And like, there's going to be people in the gathering like, what is this? It's kind of weird. It's strange. It's out there. And I started thinking like, what are people going to think? Like, are, are, like, are they going to believe me, right? That this is what it should, what it should be. And this is a, this is a true story. Um, so the next thing I did uh, was I said, all right, God, I need confirmation. Like, I need a very clear sign from you. Show me, show me directly if the word that you have for us here at Freedom Village is that word, fulfilled. So um, I forgot about it. I went on with the rest of my day, and uh, nighttime came. It was pretty late at night. Um, I'm sitting in my room, again, my office space, and um, there's a knock on my door. And the door opens up, and my son, Elijah, uh, who's supposed to be sleeping, is not and he comes in to my room, um, and he's holding his Jesus Storybook Bible in his hand. And he says to me, can you read the Bible to me? So, well, what am I supposed to say? Uh, <laughs> I'm doing pastoral ministry over here. What do you do? You know, go to sleep? No, I said, yeah, sure, of course. Um, so he came and he sat next to me. Um, and I, there's a bookmark in there. So I open it up, and... Um, I forget what the last story was, but it was something about Jesus' ministry. And so we're you know, in the life of Jesus. So um, I turn the page, 
And you know what the title was? There, if you have a storybook Bible, you can see this. There are titles for all the stories. Okay? So I turn the page, and I kid you not, this is the title of the kid's storybook. Filled full. All right, God. <laughs> there it is. Um, thank you for answering my, my prayer. That's it. And for making it so certain uh, that without a doubt, uh, that's the word uh, that God has given me this year uh, to give to us uh, as a church family. You know what's even crazier how good God is? Not only is that, that's just, you could, you know, that's crazy. What's a little bit crazier on top of that, so I come into the space, uh, this is on Tuesday, I believe it was. I think it was this past Tuesday. Um, and in our staff meeting, so I'm sharing the story with our staff a little bit, just saying, hey, I think this is the word and everything. I share this story. And I, um, at the end, I'm like, I'm going to go into the blue room, the kids' blue room, to, to go check um, the storybook Bible. I wanted to show them. So I go in there. I go in there, and there's one storybook Bible in there. And I go, and there's a yellow sticky note in that Bible. So I open the sticky note. And you'll never believe what story it was on. That one. Filled full. So I go to Paul. I'm like, did you do this? Did you do this? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this Bible, it's got a sticky note. So whoever did that, like, can you let me know? The kids ministry, you're going to listen to this. Can someone let me know who put the sticky note in there? I'd love to know. If it wasn't you, then uh, I don't know. Jesus is coming soon. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) anyway, uh, it was just an incredible confirmation for my heart, for my soul. This is what the Lord has for us uh, this year, and particularly in this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so um, as we're praying and fasting together as a church family in this season, um, this is going to be the focus uh, of our teaching, at least for the next three weeks. Uh, Being satisfied, content on the reality that we are fulfilled uh, in Christ. So if you have a Bible with you uh, today, I hope you do. Turn with me to John chapter 6. Uh, John chapter 6. As of two weeks ago, um, I had no intention or plan at all to preach uh, from this passage to start 21 days of prayer. Um, I'll admit that to you. I had planned on a totally different sermon series, three weeks through Luke chapter 18 on prayer, dependence and prayer, boldness and faith-filled prayers. Um, But here we are. It's changed, Um, but that's okay. Um, I think it's directly from God. I believe that he's Uh, has a significant word of encouragement for us today uh, from this text. Um, You know, as you're turning there, you know this, I think, but in some way, uh, shape, or or form, I think we all struggle uh, with this idea of being uh, satisfied, uh, with being truly content. Um, I know that that's definitely uh, the case with me. In in fact, uh, it's probably one of uh, the most challenging, has been for, for years, one of the most challenging uh, sins for me to overcome in my life. Um, it's hard for me, difficult for me, uh, to be truly satisfied, uh, to not want more. And, and it's not that, um, co- you know, it's not like all of us who struggle with this contentment, satisfaction. It's not that we're never satisfied, right? And for me, like, I definitely have very sweet times of, of fellowship with the Lord. I absolutely find my joy and peace. I'm in the Lord and the Lord of alone, uh, the good majority of my days. But I also realize how temporary, how temporal that can be 
for me and how often I go looking for fulfillment um, in other things, in other places, in other, other people. And, and just to be honest, trying to be totally transparent here today, um, I, even, I even tend to look for, for, for fulfillment um, here in this place um, as a pastor. Um, I, I question myself all the time. Um, am I preaching well? Um, am I a good leader? Um, am I doing enough? Are, are people's lives being changed? Um, are we growing as a body deeper into discipleship? Um, sometimes even numerically, all those things come in, in, my, in my mind. And so my peace, my hope, my joy can be determined, if I'm not careful, it can be determined and shaped by those things. And I think especially the last two years with all this um, you know, COVID stuff uh, going around us, um, on around us, how hard, how difficult has it been to be content, um, to be settled, to have true peace in our hearts, to be deeply fulfilled with all that's going on. But, but here is what I, I know. God wants total peace for us. He wants total satisfaction. He wants complete joy. He wants fulfillment for you, for me. And because of that, uh, we know that he has provided us everything that we need, namely himself, so that we can find it, so that we can have this fulfillment. And so that's what I want today to be about and what the next couple weeks are going to be about. Um, Well, by now, you've had enough time to turn to John chapter 6. Hopefully you're there now. And, and, and here's what's going on in this chapter. You can kind of start there from the top, and we're going to just run through the story really quickly, kind of give the setting here. Um, at this point in time in Jesus' ministry, um, Jesus has gained a, a massive following, unbelievably so. Um, he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been doing all sorts of miracles, and, and Jesus' disciples as well, now they're actually going out and doing ministry on their own too. That actually previous to this, we know that they've been out ministering to people. They've been teaching people about the kingdom of God. And now they've come together. Um, they find themselves in this really rural part of town. They are tired, okay, weary from all this ministry, all this work. They're trying to get away from the crowds. That's why they get away from the city. Trying to get to the mountainside. But what happens? We learn that a massive, a massive amount of people, a crowd of people has followed them. Right? They, they see them walking. Hey, that's one of Jesus' disciples. Let's go be with them. There's Jesus over there. Let's go get your friends, get your family, everyone. We're going to be with these guys. Right? And so what, what happens is this massive crowd of people gathers around, gathers together around Jesus and his disciples. Well, I can imagine this scene. I imagine here the 12 disciples are like, send them away, get away from me. Right? It's time for personal space. That's not Jesus. Jesus, being compassionate, goes out to be with the people. And the context alludes to this, but we, we see that he actually most likely spends the entire day, and we, by the way, this, this miracle that we're about to talk about, it's found in all four Gospels. Okay, so we're using John 6, but you can look at Matthew, Mark, or Luke as well for this story, okay, to get the whole picture here. 
So Jesus is talking to these people. He's healing this, the people in the crowd. He's teaching them. But now it starts to get late. And so the disciples approach Jesus. And remember, that they're in the middle of nowhere. And so they say to Jesus something like this. Jesus, hey, like remember, like we're in the middle of nowhere. The sun is starting to go down. And so you need to send these people, all these people away before it gets too dark so that they can get home, get back with their families and have some food or eat some dinner. But what is Jesus's response to this? He says to them, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. He says, let's just buy some bread and feed them. Let's feed all these people. Seems like not that big of a deal, but the disciples, knowing this context, are a total mess at this response. Chaos ensues. You see, the Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men there that day, okay? which means um, there were most likely 20,000 people there. Okay? Um, it's not counting all of the women and all of the children. But I assure you, where there's 5,000 men, there's women, okay? Um, there's a lot of people there, right? 20,000, some New Testament commentators say, uh, by the average number of kids in that day, there could have been up to 30,000 people there um, that late afternoon. And that's a huge problem, okay? Because um, Jesus and his disciples don't have the kind of money to feed a stadium full of people. And, and even if they did... Uh, even if they did, they're, again, they're basically in the middle of nowhere. And so where are they going to find all that food, right? There's not like an e-mart, right? <laughs> in like outside of Jerusalem. This is not how it works or on the Sea of Galilee. So what are they going to do? There's, there's chaos. What do you mean, Jesus, we're going to feel all these people? We can't, we don't have the resources. How are we going to like organize all of this? But of course, of course, we know this is all a test from Jesus. He's testing the faith of his disciples. He's got this thing all planned out. And so what does he do? Well, um, he finds a a young boy um, with a lunchbox. And in that lunchbox, there are five loaves of bread. You know the story. There are two loaves of fish. And then Jesus gets everybody organized. He tells people, here's what I need you to do. You need to sit in groups of 50 and you need to say it in groups of 100. I don't know how he did that. Can you imagine? Some of you guys are teachers. You try to organize a classroom and tell them what to do. 25 students. Imagine telling 20 to 30,000 people, here's what we need you to do. Get in groups of 50 or 100, and they just go do it. I think that is an unspoken truth about the authority that Jesus had. Right? That he's able to just tell the stadium of people, get yourself organized, it's time to eat. So they get in these groups. Jesus takes the food. He thanks God for the food. He hasn't even performed a miracle, but he blesses God for the food of the miracle that's going to take place. What faith. And then Jesus goes around and just starts handing out food. I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe it's like he reached in the basket and there's a loaf and there's a fish and he does it again and he just keeps doing it over and over and over again, multiplying again and again the bread and the fish. And and the scriptures tell us that the people ate. And the people ate so much 
They ate until they were satisfied. Um, the word actually in Greek, um, it, it's, it's this picture of a pig who is at a trough. And, and this pig deciding, I've had enough of the food in the trough. I'm too full and I'm going to turn around. That's how full these people are. Imagine giving a, filling a pig with food, all right? The Bible actually says that they were filled full. Title of the Bible story there in the kid's Bible. They were filled full. But not only is everyone full, there are even leftovers, the Bible tells us, that there are 12 baskets, huge, you can see these baskets, baskets full of leftover food. One basket for each disciple who doubted Jesus. Each, each, well, each disciple who doubted got to carry a basket full of food. Uh, I don't know if that was just Jesus being a, a, a amusing or, or what. He's like, oh, you doubt me? Now you get to carry a basket of food, right? I'll show you, right? It's absolutely amazing, this miracle. Jesus feeds 20,000, 30,000 people. They're filled full. What this miracle, of course... Uh, the people just just freak out, right? They say, actually, um, this is it. The time has come. This is the promised one that we've been waiting for. This is our new king, right? And even though Jesus uh, tries to withdraw himself, he tries to get away um, to the mountain to, to pray, to be alone. He wants to do that with his disciples as well. Um, we know that this crowd of people um, they go looking for Jesus. Um, they haven't had enough of Jesus. Um, they go looking for him. They chase him down, and the next day, the scriptures record that they actually find him. They find Jesus. And that's where we enter into our main text for today. Jesus is going to tell, before we even get to the, the bottom line, I'm going to tell you it. Jesus is going to tell this group of people who are, this crowd of people, who are looking for the next miracle, looking for their next meal, looking for more bread, he's going to tell them, I am the bread. And that has major significance, not just for them, but for us today. So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to break it down into two simple things, two categories. First of all, uh, we're seeing here, or we're going to see here, that Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life tells us that we have a need, teaches us that we have a need. Two lessons from, from Jesus telling us that he's the bread of life. First thing, Jesus, the bread of life, teaches us that we have a need. Look again with me at verse 25 to 26. It says this, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You know, it's funny as you read, read that. We see here that um, Jesus doesn't answer their question at all. He ignores it. Um, he actually completely changes the subject. They say, hey, when did you get here? Like, we, we lost you last night. You, you, you must have went around. You know, he goes across the river, the, the Sea of Galilee. How long have you been here? When did you get here? And Jesus says, hey, listen to me, everyone. Listen. You're only here with me, following me, because you're looking for bread. You're here because your stomachs are full. Because you were filled full with bread and fish. 
And you need to have a little bit of an Old Testament understanding uh, to get what's going on here. See, thousands of years before this, um, after the Israelite people were saved out of, brought out of Egyptian slavery, Exodus chapter 15 uh, tells us that as a way of celebration, uh, uh, celebrating their deliverance, uh, the, the people sing this song, right? They're praising God, they're shouting, they're excited, like they're dancing, that God is our rescuer, he's our deliverer. But then a funny thing happens. Just one chapter later, in Exodus 16, the people start to complain. They start to grumble. They actually say things like, God has left us. He's abandoned us. He's just left us here in the desert to die. And why is that? Well, because we know they had no food. They're in the middle of the desert, and they have no food. But despite their grumbling and complaining, we we read that God is gracious And so he provides for them. He saves them again. And he sends bread from heaven called manna. And he sends enough of it, enough of this bread, for the people to eat every single day. I, I think sometimes we can forget about this. Not just every single day, but 40 years Every single day for 40 years, God himself miraculously sends food for the people. You imagine that? Like, I'm excited and create about like shuttle delivery at my door, right? Like, that's pretty amazing. Could you imagine though? Like, it's not, I don't have to even like, the guy doesn't have to ring my doorbell or anything. It just falls from heaven, like right in the sky. It's like, oh, great. You know, they had to grind it up and bake it. But I mean, that's pretty incredible, right? You don't have to go out looking for food. 40 years of this, day after day. So now, fast forward a couple thousand years, and we know, okay, about a couple hundred years before Jesus, that the people of Israel, there's some prophets there, and they start to prophesy about the Messiah, about the one who is to come. And one of the things that they say is that when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, guess what's going to come with him? Bread from heaven. In other words, manna is coming again. That's what the Israelites expected. That's what they believed. The Messiah is coming, and so is bread. And so now, Jesus shows up on the scene. And what have the people in this story, the crowds, what have they just seen Jesus do? He makes bread, right? He miraculously, in front of this large crowd of people, he's multiplying bread. Which means, of course, any good Jewish person, their their minds would go directly to the Exodus story and to the prophecy that they've been waiting for and hoping for. And so now they come to Jesus and they start this conversation with him, but Jesus knows their hearts. He knows their hearts. He knows that they're coming to him and saying, or sorry, they're not coming to him and saying, you provided the bread for us, which means that you're the Messiah, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. That's not their hearts. Their hearts are, do you have any more bread? Not, 
you're the Messiah. We finally, you're the one. We're here for you. They're say, we need more bread. We're here for the bread. Again, look at verse 26, but we'll move into verse 27. Jesus continues. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Then he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Now, I want us to understand something important here. Let me be very clear about this, okay? Because we're going to get into another point. But I want to be very clear that I don't leave this alone. Jesus was not saying, Jesus did not say that their craving, that their desire for food was inherently wrong or bad. Rather, what we see him doing here is addressing how they were seeking to fulfill that craving, to fulfill those desires, to fulfill that longing. See, we know that God created us with desires, with needs, with cravings, that in the Garden of Eden, Eden from the very beginning, even before uh, there was sin, there was food in the garden, and there was a desire for that food. There was craving for that food. Right? Adam and Eve needed food just like they needed air. Right? They had desires as well, right? just like the desire for companionship. Right? They, they desired to be with someone, not to be alone. And that was okay. Right? It was God designed for us to crave, to have needs, to have empty stomachs to fill. But again, here's the key. All of these desires... All of these cravings, all of these needs, all of them, all of them were intended to be met only by God and in his appointed way. Which leads us then to the problem of sin that we see in Genesis 3, all throughout the scriptures, and here again in John chapter 6. See, the problem is, the problem is that you and I, we have these desires, and no one would deny this. Right? We have desires. We want satisfaction. We want to be full. We want to find fulfillment in our lives. But we look to meet those desires to find fulfillment outside of God. That's our problem. That's what we do. That's who we are. We look to the things of this world to satisfy us apart from our creator. And again, that's exactly what's going on. That's what Jesus says is exactly what's going on to this crowd or with this crowd in John 6. Again, they are there looking for the bread that made them filled full. That's what they desired. And that's what they thought they needed to be satisfied. They thought the manna is here. It's like upgrade. Manna 2.0, right? It's here again. Manna is here. We no longer like celebrate. We no longer need to worry about our physical needs, which again might not seem like a big deal for us, but in a culture society that was living on daily bread, this is an amazing, amazing thing. We don't have to worry about food anymore. It's incredible. 
But Jesus tells them here, that's not your real problem. And that's not your real need. And the key word here in verse 27 is actually the word life. I think the text is still up. If it's not, can we put the text back up? Verse 26 and 27. You see, in Greek, that word life, in Greek, not to get too deep into this, but there are, there are two different words for the word life. There's the word bios, okay, which should be familiar in English, bios, biology, right? Bios, which means physical life or uh, material life. It's always tied, usually, almost always tied to the body. But then there's another word for life, and that's the Greek word zoe, okay? zoe. And this word for life uh, goes beyond the physical, It's an eternal life. Um, It means a satisfied, joyous, uh, passionate, a fulfilled life. That's Zoe. Actually, the Apostle Paul uses that word for life in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, when he says this. He says, we've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of what? Zoe, newness of Life, eternal life. Dead in our sins, we're buried with him at belief in him, and now we're walking in a resurrected life, a fulfilled life, passionate life, satisfied life, joyous life. So back to John 6, you have these people rushing to Jesus, rushing to follow Jesus. They're looking for bread. They want their physical needs to be met. To be met. They, they want life. They want bios. But what Jesus says is, don't look for food that perishes or die, but look for the food of zoe, of eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying something so profound here. He's saying, you have a hunger. Listen, you, don't, you might not know this, but you have a hunger that goes well beyond the physical. Hear me, hear me. You have a, a, a thirst that goes way beyond the physical. Or I'll say it this way. You have a zoe need that you're trying to fill with a bio solution. And when you try to fix, when you try to heal your spiritual problem with a physical solution, you'll always be left empty. You'll always be left wanting more. That's the message. So Jesus here exposes their need. He reveals to us that we have a need. And by the way, uh, again, our need is no different than them in John 6. We are the same. You and I have that same need. And yet, and yet, we are also just like the crowd. We have the same need and we are just like the crowd, aren't we? Because again, that's, the, that, that's who we are as human beings. That's our flesh. Uh, we are deceived. Right? We all have cravings and desires. All of us want true joy, lasting satisfaction. We want fulfillment in life. And yet, yet, so very often we search for these things everywhere else everywhere else but in Jesus. And that's why so many of us, so many of us, 
even within the church, are left wanting, are left needing, are living our lives not fulfilled because nothing in this world can or will fill you. You need a Zoe solution for your Zoe need. Again, we are created to, to, to want joy. We're created to, to want peace. We're created to, to want true fulfillment in life. We have a need. But the crowd is looking to fill that need in the wrong place. They don't want Jesus. They want physical bread. They think that the pro- their problem is their empty stomachs. They want to be filled full again. And so what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer to their need? And of course, what's the answer to our need? Well, in Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life, we learn something else. Uh, We learn the solution to our need. Simple, simple text. We have a need. (laughs) We have a solution to our need. That's the story. And this is really good news. Skip down with me to verse 35. Jesus says to them this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, uh, there is so much here, but I'll do my best to to break this down uh, with the time that I have allotted to me left. Uh, So we see here, Jesus says, um, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And if you look down, hopefully you have a physical copy of God's word or, you know, phone app. Um, if you look down verses 48 through 51, we see him actually repeat that again. I am the bread of life. Or he says it this way. I am the living bread. And he's saying it over and over again. And all of these are synonymous. Verse 35, verse 48, 51, all of it's synonymous. So what is this bread of life? What, what is this uh, living bread that Jesus is talking about? Well, uh, this is very intentionally telling us something about who Jesus is. It's telling us about his identity. And there are really three things here uh, that this reveals to us about Jesus. The first thing we see here is Jesus revealing himself to be the I am. Okay, you could even um, underline that or circle that Um, In your Bible, I would encourage you to do that if you have a Bible that you don't mind writing in. Um, Circle that phrase, I am. Um, And again, I won't go too deep in the Greek here, but it's still really important for us to understand. Um, Again, two ways to say I am in the Greek, just like life. Two ways to say I am. Um, There is ego, okay, means I am, ego. And there is ami. So I am, ego, I am, ami. depending on the context and the situation that you find yourself in. And every time, every time in this passage, when Jesus says, I am, it's really interesting. He doesn't say ego, and he doesn't say ami, the bread of life. He actually says ego ami, the bread of life. And so the question is, um, does Jesus have a stuttering problem? Like, I am, I am the bread of life. I'm sorry? Oh, I am, I am the bread of life. Like, is that Jesus' issue? Or is he saying something much more profound? Okay? Is that an accident? 
Or is it intentionally profound? Well, again, if you know the Old Testament, back to Exodus, we read back in Exodus chapter 3 that there comes a time where God has been revealing himself, but now he's going to reveal his, his name. He's going to share who he is with Moses. All right? There's a burning bush. Those of you who are familiar with the story, Moses says, uh, who, who should I tell? Like, he's going to go deliver the Egyptians. Who sent me? Who, what should I say? What's your name? And in Greek, it's recorded in the Septuagint, a direct translation from the Hebrew. It says what? Ego ami. That's who I am. Go tell them, ego ami. That's who sent you. Ego ami. And so this is Jesus now, removed from that in thousands of years, clearly, again, telling his telling this crowd something radical. It's intentional, purposeful. Again, you didn't walk around town. It's important for us to understand this. You didn't walk around town being like, ego a me going to the grocery store. Like, I am, I am going to the grocery store. Like, ego a me, right, the church building on Sunday. Like, that's not how you talk. Like, it's ego or a me. Jesus says, both, both. You didn't talk like this. So what is Jesus doing? Well, he's making a clear statement of divinity. He's claiming to be God. It's always so interesting to me. Um, I studied apologetics in university um, for my master's degree, which is a defense of Christianity. Um, But you don't need a degree in apologetics to combat people who are outside of Christianity that read the Bible and say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus never claimed to be God. It's like, I mean, what is that? It's so obvious. He does this, by the way, seven times throughout John, and really an eighth. Um, it's, it's, it's so clear who, Je- who Jesus was claiming to be. Powerful claims. And not only does he claim to be God, in, in verses 33, 50, and 51, he says, I am the living bread from where? He says, come down from heaven. It can be more clear. Again, another very significant claim. He literally says to these people, I am God who has come down from heaven. And he repeats that three times, just in case um, anyone was talking to their neighbor, anybody was distracted. He repeats it. And so the first thing we learn here in Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, is that Jesus is God. Jesus claims divinity. So we know Again, Jesus cannot, cannot merely be a good teacher. Just can't merely be a good prophet or a good moral example for us to follow because that's not who Jesus himself claimed to be. So we can't make claims about Jesus that he never said about himself. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the one who came down from heaven. So that's the first thing we see in the statement. The second thing uh, we see in Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, We see this directly in verse 33. Jesus says, for the bread of heaven is he. You can underline that word, circle that word, he. It's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of heaven is he. So notice, what does that tell us? Notice, Jesus doesn't say that he has come down from heaven to give the people bread. He says, 
the bread of heaven is he who comes down. Again, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. And so again, what's the commonality here? Simple, but important. The bread of life is a person. Okay, it's a person. And I know, I know this, right? To many of you, this is so obvious, right? It's Christianity 101, right? But we know some of the simplest things in the scripture are the most profound, like the gospel itself, right? Uh, That Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins so that we can have life with God. It's easy enough. The gospel is easy enough, simple enough for a child to understand. But at the same time, so profound that we'll be studying the depths of the gospel for all of eternity, I think. (laughs) So rich. So the bread of life is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so listen, what Jesus is saying here is true satisfaction, true fulfillment is found in a person. Fulfillment is about a person. The desire to be full, satisfied, is found, is found, is met in the one who is the bread. And so now we more fully understand why Jesus said what he said in verse 25. Jesus said, you're seeking me. You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Which then begs the question to us then, do you, do you and I, we know what they were doing in John 6, but what about you and I? The question is, is pretty easy, but it's necessary. Do you, in your life, do you follow the meal or the person who provides the meal and is the meal? Are you running after the bread, the things that God gives? Or you run after the one who is the bread, God him, himself? Again, that's subtle, but very important. Because this is how true fulfillment in life is found. In moving towards, in pursuing, and seeking the person of Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. I've been doing this Christian thing, I'll call it that. This life as a Christian for long enough to know, pastoring for long enough to know that it is possible, it is possible to go through all of the motions of Christianity. To go to church, right? Sing some songs, right? Put a little bit of money in an offering envelope, right? Now and then say prayers before I go to bed and at the same time have no true, genuine relationship with Jesus, And that's not a judgment towards anyone on my my part. It's just a call, I think clearly here from the scriptures, for us to wake up. Wake up and ask ourselves, where am I at with Jesus, who is the bread of life? And why? Why am I following Jesus at all? Why am I following him? Is it, again, is it for him and only him? Or for the stuff that I think he might provide for me and give to me? And so maybe you ask yourself something like this. Do I, do I enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy Jesus? Really simple. Do you have a desire to be with Jesus because he's Jesus? Do you delight in the Lord? Do you love him? Right? And to, to know if you do, if to, if to know if you do, 
it's not actually that complicated. All you need to do is just look at your life. Examine your life. So a good sign for me is just look at my life and ask myself, am I arranging and rearranging my life for Jesus? Or do I continually find myself just going the way that I really want to go, doing the things that I want to do, and there's never like a fork in the road or there's never a stop? Right, that's a telltale sign for me, typically, that I, I need to examine my heart. If I just keep going and everything's always running smoothly and I'm always just doing the things that I want to do. So do you give Jesus priority in your life? Is he where you're finding your fulfillment? Or are you look finding, trying to find fulfillment in the things that you think he'll provide? Let's keep going. There's actually more here to Jesus calling himself the bread of life. Verse 51, verse 51. He says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. So important. This here, this is a clear very clear pointer to the cross. So we see in Jesus calling himself the bread of life, we see some amazing truths. We see the bread of life is God. We see the bread of life is a person. And now we see the bread of life is a sacrifice. The bread of life is God. The bread of life is a person. Now we see the bread of life is a sacrifice. Jesus says here, the bread of life came so that we can live. And he offers that life fulfillment, not to a particular people, not to a particular race, not to a particular location, but life to the world. Jesus comes and says, you have messed up your life. That's a very nice way of me saying it. You've jacked up your life. You've messed it up. But don't worry, he's saying, I was broken, or he will be broken, he was. I was broken as the bread of life so that your brokenness can be made whole. Take that in. Meditate on that just for just even a brief moment. Think about this. The bread of life, Jesus Christ was broken so that you and I could be made whole. Brought out of our brokenness. That's the good news of the gospel. That all of your brokenness in every way, shape, and form, every area of your life that's broken, Jesus wants to redeem and can redeem. Because of that desire and love from him, he takes your, he took your brokenness on himself and became broken. And in turn, again, the answer for us is life. Eternal life, Zoe life, wholeness, fulfillment, satisfaction forever. So here's the message today. Jesus came to the earth as the God-man. And he came to give his life to the world so that we could have life. So that we can have true Zoe life. That eternal life that leads to, again, satisfaction, joy, passion, and deep fulfillment. Even here and now on earth. 
It's not something we're waiting for in the kingdom. Here and now on earth, he wants to give you eternal life. Jesus here in John 6, clearly he's inviting you and I to eat, to follow him, to to believe in him. Because again, that's where deep purpose and meaning in life is found. Don't miss that. Don't miss this. Each Each and every one of us, we are in need. You have a need. And whether you know it or not, whether you know it or not, we are all living our lives trying to achieve that fulfilled life. We're all searching for joy. We're all searching for satisfaction. And so ask yourself today, where are you going? Where am I going to find it? What path am I on to try to find that joy and satisfaction? Everything other than Jesus will spoil. It's food that perishes. It's food that doesn't last. It's food that fades away. Again, that's why so many of us, including myself at times, continually find ourselves empty and wanting more, needing more, because what this world offers us and what this world gives us is never enough. So what are you living for? John D. Rockefeller, when he lived, uh, he was one of the richest men in the world. Um, His net worth uh, at the time he was living was 1% of the total U.S. economy, which is pretty major. Um, He owned 90% of all of the oil and gas industry. Very wealthy man. Uh, He's like the Bill Gates of his time. Okay. He was once asked a question by a newspaper, I believe it was. He was once asked a question. Here's a man who has generation after generational wealth. Still every day, like his inheritance now, like his great-grandkids, every, I was just reading about this, they, every month they're getting like tens of thousands of dollars checked. Like all his great-grandkids, every one of them, because he has this trust, it's worth billions of dollars. He was once asked, How much, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And you know what his response was? He said this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's the human condition. That's our hearts. And that's where trying to find satisfaction in the world leads. Every single day. Time, always wanting, just a little bit more. But Jesus, knowing that desire, knowing our need, now comes and says, I will fill you to the full. I'll give you real life, total satisfaction. All you have to do is follow me. Stay close to me. I think Isaiah 55 is a great parallel to this passage and a good way to wrap up today's message. Perhaps Jesus even had this in mind when he talked to the crowd that day by the sea. I believe he had this in mind. Listen to these words. And just imagine now that this isn't written like, you know, a couple thousand years ago. Imagine that Jesus is here now and he's saying this to you. Come, everyone who thirsts, 
come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, listen, he says, and come to me here. Why? So that your soul may live. Come that you might have Zoe, life in me. That day, the crowds went to Jesus, looking, looking, seeking to be filled full on good food. But Jesus' message to them and to us is come and be fulfilled in me. Church family, the message of the gospel is that when you taste and see Jesus, when you follow him, when you stay close to him, you will never be hungry again. And whereas the manna from heaven came down and fed the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus is the bread of life come from heaven to nourish us, to bring us joy, to save us from our sins, and to fully satisfy every desire and longing of our hearts, not for 40 years, forever. Amen? Let me pray for you.